comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, in, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bryce. Well, if you've been with us over the last couple weeks, I guess this is week three of our uh, new sermon series that we are doing, looking at what... Matt called the practices of love. What are these habits? What are these these disciplines? What are these things that Scripture gives to us? What are the things that it gives us to practice and do that help us to see, that help us to hear, that help us to experience the love and grace of our God? And this week we come to what I think might be the, the granddaddy of them all, prayer. There is nothing more central to the life of a Christian than prayer. Like, what could be more central to the life of a Christian than prayer? It is the thing where you are taking, talking to God and relating Him and His person and His work to you and to your life and to your circumstances that you live every day. It is, there's nothing that you can do in the Christian life by faith without prayer. Like even these other things that we're talking about, you can't meditate without prayer. You wouldn't try to come to worship without praying. Sorry, it's not going to work. You can't give, you can't confess, you can't fast, you can't uh, practice community or evangelism or celebration. You can't do any of these things, not by faith, without prayer. So you would think that preaching on prayer would be really exciting, You would think that it would be really invigorating. You would think it would be really easy to talk about prayer. Except if you've tried to pray before. Because if you've tried to pray before, then you know that your relationship with prayer is, let's just say, complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated by feelings of guilt. I don't do it enough. It's complicated by feeling inadequate frustrated, feeling small uh, to this thing that should be so basic and so easy. It it might come from feeling complicated of of just being bored or feeling cold or feeling distant. 
the reality is, is that while the, the idea of prayer is, is rosy and beautiful and good, the practice of prayer can feel a lot less rosy and good. And the temptation for me this morning is to try to, to compensate, right? To cut through that guilt, to cut through that, um, the, the weariness of, of prayer. The thing that I want to do is in, in my own life is I want to romanticize it, right? I want to find the people who have, have thought and felt and prayed the most deeply, right? Even when I was assigned this sermon, I well, immediately went to my bookshelf. I was like, who, who in church history has been the best at praying? Who has, has walked these roads ahead of me? What profound insights have they given? What is, what is a way that I can begin to think of prayer? What is a way that I can help these people feel something about prayer? The problem with those kinds of sermons is that while they feel good, they don't work. They don't work. The goal here isn't so we feel something good about prayer. It's so that we feel something in prayer. Praying a sermon that is profound or, or praying a sermon with great insights about prayer does about as much good for your prayer life as watching Rocky does for your uh, ability as a boxer, right? If you want to become a, a, a person who is a boxer, right, you would not watch the movie Rocky. Why? It's all about boxing. It's fun. It's inspirational. You get to see uh, two men pulverize each other, right? But it doesn't teach you how to box. You can't learn to box vicariously by watching a movie, and you can't learn to pray vicariously either. And so instead of what I'm sure would have been a colorful and mind-blowingly insightful sermon on prayer, I'm going to preach what is like the sermon equivalent to a beige wall, you know that like intolerable color your realtor wanted you to paint your house, right? Beige wall that is, is so boring, so nondescript, so plain, so vanilla, that maybe just maybe it'll change our lives. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at this passage on prayer, this one passage where somebody actually had the guts to ask Jesus, Lord, just how do we do this? And what I want us to do is I want to look at what I think are three of the biggest frustrations, or I guess I can say some of three of my biggest frustrations with prayer and see what God has to say about them. So what is, follows will henceforth be called the beigiest sermon on prayer. Three frustrations. The first one's this. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Maybe you're here in this room and you quite literally have never tried to pray before. And I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case because you could probably teach us a lot about uh, what is so obvious about prayer if we weren't so frustrated by it. But most of us in this room have tried to pray before. And when we say we don't know how to pray, what we mean is uh, prayer just feels so clunky it feels so awkward. It feels like I'm, I must be doing something wrong because it's so hard to sit there and talk to God. I remember as um, a teenager, my, my church where I grew up in launched this big program. It was called 
watchmen on the wall. And it was actually this, I love the vision of this prayer program. It was, it was fantastic. It was great. It was, the idea was is that um, there would be somebody from the church who would sign up for an hour a week that they were going to pray for the church, pray for our city, pray for one another, right? And so um, everyone in the church was asked, would you sign up for an hour? And so you would sign up for, you know, Tuesdays at uh, 9 a.m., and you would pray from 9 to 10, and then you would pick up your landline, and you would call, you know, the next person on the chain, and they would pray from 10 to 11. But this is all 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? So somebody is praying at 2 a.m. in the morning, and somebody's praying at uh, 9 p.m. on a Friday night. And it's this beautiful vision of prayer, and it's, it was actually very exciting, even as like a teenager, except for there was this one problem. In order to participate in the program, you had to pray for an hour. 60 minutes, you had to sit there, and you were supposed to pray. You know how what is not a good way to feel good about your prayer life? is to try to pray for 60 minutes. You feel so small. You feel so inadequate. You feel like you are doing something wrong. My father signed up our family for the 5 a.m. time slot on Tuesdays, I believe. Um, And so that meant I, like, prayed for three minutes and then slept for 57 minutes um, until the, the next time. But the first thing I want you to see about this passage is is that you're not alone. Look in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples sat there and said, look, I've said, I'm a good Jewish boy, right? I've said a lot of prayers in life. I've said the Shema. I've done I've done the things I'm supposed to do. But but the way that Jesus just prayed, the way that he was able to talk with God makes me feel like I've never prayed at all. That I don't know what I'm doing. And he, I think, probably felt very, very small. Probably felt very, very inadequate. And so he does the very most obvious thing. He says, Lord. Teach us to pray. And I say that because I think that this prayer, this request that he makes of Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, is the very first prayer that any of us has to go through. If you want to be able to pray, if you want to be able to relate with God, then you must go through this first prayer. God, I don't know what I'm doing. Teach me how to do this. And so the beigeous response to our frustration, I don't know how to pray, is I think that God's saying, pray for what you don't know. Think about it this way. Um, Let's just say that it's 2004 and you got a new girlfriend and you want to be a good boyfriend to your girlfriend. It's me, in hindsight. And so you get on Google, right? And you Google, like, what do I buy a girl for her birthday or for Christmas? What do I do for Christmas? 2004, Google um, is not very helpful. I'll tell you that by personal experience, right? Do what else is not helpful? To watch 
um, some rom- rom-com, right? Um, I'm trying to even think of, of one from that era. I'm ad-libbing here. It, it, this aspirational, this thing of like these, the b- very best boyfriends doing their very best things, the most romantic things uh, for their girlfriend, that doesn't help you either. And while it feels very unromantic, right? It feels very un... Um, it doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel very colorful. But do you know how you learn to be a good boyfriend? It's by asking, what do you want to do for your birthday? Right? It's learning and saying to Whitney, do you even care if we do something for Valentine's Day? What is it that you want? In the same way, we, 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 we think about prayer and we go into it expecting that if we had the right formula, right, or if we had the right motivation, or if we had the right insight that we could all of a sudden become good prayers, but that's not how you learn to relate with anyone, is it? I can tell you 20 years in, on, on 20 Valentine's Days, 20 birthdays, 20 Christmases in on, on dating or, or being married to Whitney, guess what I still have to do? I have to say, Whitney, what do you want to do for your birthday this year? Over and over and over again, we come back to this prayer because our goal is not to, to nail prayer. It's not to be able to, to, to say the right words. It's not to be able to feel the right feelings when we pray. Our goal in prayer is to interact with the one who wants to interact with us. It's to meet God, or, or even more profoundly, to have God meet us where we are. And so the hope of our frustration is not is that we can solve the Rubik's Cube of prayer. The hope of our frustration is that there is somebody who wants to teach you to pray. There is somebody who wants to teach you how to relate with him, that you have a God who delights to be with you. That's the first frustration. The second frustration maybe you'll feel uh, is relatable. Prayer is boring. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that from up front as a pastor, but prayer can often be boring. I'll qualify the statement a little bit, right? Like you think about prayer and you think about kneeling by your bedside and, and praying for your great Aunt Oida, right? And, and the hip that got missed out of, knocked out of place, right? You think about as a kid saying, now I lay me down to sleep. You think about this wooden prayer at the table saying, um, God, bless the hands that have prepared this food. Or you think about the times that you've actually tried to pray and you go through your life and it just feels like you're giving God a laundry list, a laundry list instead of uh, 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 this vital lifeline to God. And I want to tell you in, in the sermon, I want, to, I want to romanticize, I want to tell you it doesn't have to be that way. There's all these people, these, these, these mothers and fathers in the faith who have gone before us, who have experienced prayer in all these dynamic and, and colorful ways. And it would be true, by the way, but that's not your hope. The hope for your bored prayer life is not that other people have experienced this greatness. 
your hope is, is that there is somebody who wants to relate with you in your boredom. And so God is going to answer our frustration and say, when prayer feels really boring, pray the boring prayer. Look, verse 2. So Jesus says, when you pray, say this. Can you think of something more boring than Jesus telling them exactly what to say in prayer? Like, follow the script, repeat these words, pray these prayer. And then, listen to the prayer he tells them to say. It's a really boring prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. All right, just to illustrate for you just how boring this prayer is, think about, let's just pull out the one line, right? Give us each day our daily bread. And you don't think about it this way because you go to the grocery store and you buy bread. But think about Jesus telling the, the housewife whose vast majority of her day is spent baking bread. Because when she wakes up in first century Palestine in the morning, she has to go walk to a well to get water. And when she returns with her water, she has to grind the grain into a flour so that she can even begin to go through the process of baking bread as you know it. And by the way, when she gets to baking the bread, she doesn't have an oven that maintains a constant temperature. Baking bread wasn't just this metaphor for life. Baking bread was her life. It was what she did day after day after day. It's really mundane. Or think about what it, it, it means for the farmer, for God to say, give us this day our daily bread. The farmer who spends the entire year trying to, to, to cultivate the soil and to put these seeds in the ground and to, 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 to weed them and to water them and to, to, to see those seeds produce a grain that could then become a bread. It's the daily rub of life. It's really, really boring. It's not the kind of thing that we think, oh, I need divine intervention for. This is not a romantic, colorful prayer that Jesus is teaching them to pray. This is their daily labor. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What would it look like to pray for those things? Uh, I've got to tell you, it's, it's not very exciting. What would it look like to pray for your conference call at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning? What would it look like to pray for your laundry? To pray for your exercise class? What does it look like to pray for the things that you go through every, every single day? Like, talk about a beige wall. Jesus, this is the most boring prayer you could teach us to pray. No wonder we don't want to do it. But here's the hope. Here's the hope of boring prayers is, is that there is someone who cares about your trip to the gym. There is someone who cares about your stain that you got in your tablecloth. There's somebody who cares about your 8 a.m. call. There is a God who invites us, who longs to hear from us about the most mundane, mundane things. Could that change our prayer life? I think so, and here's why. What do, you, what do you talk about when you're with, like, 
your best friend or a really good friend. And I'm sure you guys are much more interesting and fascinating than me. But uh, I recently was hanging out with one of my lifelong friends who, who lives down the street here. We went and we played tennis, and as we were catching up, these are the things that were on our, uh, our list, our agenda that we talked about, right? Number one, we talked about my newfound fascination with overnight oats, right? And my tips for the trade for how to, to, to make these overnight oats. We talked about um, the, the gutters that I was getting put on my house, both how outrageously expensive and how I hoped that they would uh, help my, me with some irrigation problems, right? We talked about the Libby app from the library and how it keeps dumping off my hold requests that I put into it and how frustrating that is. And do you know what's amazing about that? He cared. He cared about my frustration over my Libby app. He cared about me finding the right contractor to put gutters on my house. He cared about trying out overnight oats for himself. Why? Because he cares about me. When we come to God and we pray for our conference calls and we pray for our awkward interactions, or we pray for the times we want to stick a, 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 our shoe in our mouth, right? We are praying a prayer that God is inviting us to pray. Because our hope is, is that we have a Father who longs to hear from us. See, my friend, he can validate my concerns, and he can give me some advice, but how much more does your Father, who has given you those grungy day-to-day -day tasks. How much more does he delight in walking with you down those roads? How much more value does he see in your life than your best friend? And yet we don't talk to him. And so what we're, we're trying to do in this sermon series is we're trying to be very practical. So here's an idea for your prayer life. It's very beige, it's to suggest to you that maybe the most profound prayer journal that you will ever have is already in your possession. It's your daily planner. It's your Microsoft Outlook calendar. There's nothing more beigey than a Microsoft Outlook calendar. It is the thing that lists the, the times and the places and the people that you will meet with. It is the day that, that schedules out your day. And what would it be like if you prayed through your calendar in the morning? What would it be like if you looked at the utterly mundane, repeated task and you said, God, would you bless this? God, would you give this value? God, would you make your earth more beautiful because of this thing? The mundane would be less mundane. What would it look like if you looked at your calendar and you said, God, I am so anxious about this meeting with this person. God, I am so terrified that I am going to fail at this. What would change? What if you looked at your calendar and every morning you woke up and you prayed that God would give you your daily bread? It's not colorful. It's not exciting. 
but it can change your life. What about if at night when you went to, to bed, you took your calendar and you closed it? You took your planner and you closed it and you said, God, today I have done these things. Would you see me through to the next morning? God, would you give me sleep and rest because these relationships, these things are not mine to do. This is your world, God. What would change? What would be different? It's not exciting. It's not colorful. It's pretty beige. But God might answer you. He might meet you. And so when you're bored in prayer, I think the encouragement of this passage is to pray the boring prayer. Third frustration, though. Prayer doesn't seem to change anything. So often in times when we we come to pray, it feels like we're talking to a beige wall. It feels like the only response we're going to get is the echo of our voice. And it's almost like Jesus knew you were going to feel that way because look what he immediately goes to in verse 5. He tells a story of, uh, of a man who goes to his neighbor and his friend, and he says, hey, I need this from you. And when he goes to, to share his need, what he's met with is a closed door. And so he gives him this encouragement when prayer doesn't seem to be changing anything. Keep praying until something changes. Keep praying until something changes. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep moving down the road. And, and I'm going to switch the parable on you because if this happened in modern day, you would just call the police on your neighbor, right, who's knocking on your door. And instead, I'm going to tell you about a little phone call I had with Verizon Wireless today. Equally exciting. Verizon, right, I get this email. They say, uh, hey, we quoted you $800 for your trade-in device, but instead we're only going to give you $400. And so I call them, right? I think this is easy. I have the quote. They said they were going to do this, and now they're not going to do this. Surely this will be a quick and easy phone call. You know that that is not the case. You know, 30 minutes later, right, I'm still on customer service, and I'm saying, but you said you would do this thing for me. And they said, but we're not going to do that for you. I said, but you said you were going to. And they say, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. But here's where you realize we're in a standoff because they can't hang up on me, right? Like, I don't think that their software even lets them hang up the phone. They can't hang up with me, and I can't leave, right? Not if I want to get my $400 back. I have to stay on that line. And so 30 minutes turned into an hour, turned into an hour and a half. I'm put on hold. I'm talking to this person. You just keep going. You realize I have nowhere else to go to get my need met. And so just over and over and over again, I just kept saying, but I need my money back. And do you know what's ridiculous? They gave it to me. I talked to four different customer agent, service agents who did not want to give that to money to me. They repeatedly said, there is literally nothing we can do to give this to you. There is, you are in the wrong. You, your trade-in didn't apply for this credit. You are wrong. And guess what? They eventually gave me the money. The moral of the story, 
is not that Jesus is a customer service agent for Verizon, right? It's easy to read the, even this story and, and, and to come away with this vision that God is, is like this, um, this hostile person who doesn't want to give you what you want, and so the only way to get what you want is to bludgeon him to death with your request, the logic of this argument is to say is if a, a Verizon customer service agent who is adamantly opposed to giving you what you want will eventually relent because of your persistence, how much more, how much more does your Father in heaven who wants you to have what is good, who wants you to flourish, who wants you to, to receive the answer to your prayer, how much more effective will your persistence be? Jesus invites us to say, keep praying until something changes. Now, even as I say this, though, I recognize that, that we're running up against something that is, is, for some of us in this room, quite possibly some of our deepest wounds in the Christian life. Because you have. You've kept asking over and over and over again. You've prayed that someone somewhere would see the suffering that you're enduring. And today it feels like you're just as alone as you ever were. Or you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and the, the, the job offer never came. Or the baby never came. Or the spouse never came. You prayed and you prayed and you've prayed, but the cancer came back. And it definitely doesn't feel like God is a, is a good heavenly father who wants to give you what is good. And so we're trying to square the reality of what God is inviting us to, to keep asking with the reality that he does not always give us what we pray for. How do we understand that? Well, I think if you look here at these last couple of verses, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will, give a, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? He invites us to square this, this tension with the picture of a father. And if you've ever been a teenager before, you know that your father did not give you what you asked for every time. A father does not give what is asked for all the time. Instead, he gives what is best. And so we come to this quote that's somewhat famous now from Tim Keller, that God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. That while we feel like God is giving us what is, is the short end of the stick, that he's giving us a scorpion instead of an egg, what maybe is happening is, is that he knows more than you do that he desires for you to experience a good gift in such a way that he will withhold the request that would take you away from his good gift. And that might mean that if you are going to keep praying until something changes, that you're going to be praying for a very long time. Because maybe what needs to change is not your circumstance, but you. That God, through day after day after day of praying, that God is changing your desires, your passions, your loves, your longings. Or quite possibly that you will continue praying until Christ returns and makes all things new. It's not a very 
pleasant thing to talk about. But when Jesus invites us to keep praying, to keep knocking, he is not telling us that we will get what we want every time. What he is telling us is is that you, if you keep knocking, will find a father who loves you, a father who will not let your request go idle, and that even if it takes until the end of time, and even if it takes until Jesus comes back again and establishes his kingdom, God will give you what is good. So he invites us to sit in the tension of prayer, to keep asking for what we are not getting. God, Jesus is inviting us that when our prayers don't seem to change anything, that we can keep praying until something changes. Now, listen, I recognize none of these things sound very romantic, right? When you don't know how to pray, pray for what you don't know. When you're bored by prayer, pray the boring boring prayer. When your prayers don't seem to change anything, pray until something changes. In fact, they seem frustratingly beige, frustratingly obvious, frustratingly futile. But our hope if you and if I'm going to learn to pray, it's not that we gain some new insight. It's not that we experience some new inspiration or, or that we gain a new tactic. What our hope is and what will really change our life is if when we knock on the door, God answers. That it is in the praying, it is in the process of asking that we discover a God who is the answer to all of our prayers. And so our invitation this morning is to believe that we have a Father who delights to give us good gifts and to come to Him in prayer and ask that He give them to us. Pray with me. Father, we are a people who struggle We struggle with this idea that we um, are to pray for that which feels so frustrating, to pray when we don't want to pray, God, to pray when we feel confused even how to pray. And yet, Lord, in the mystery of your goodness, you say that this is a way that we will experience you. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us to pray as you taught your disciples, Father, we pray that you would teach us what it looks like to wait on you in prayer. God, we pray that as we pray, you would find us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.